worship the Lord together. And uh, this morning we are back in the book of Acts. We've uh, left the book of Acts for a long time. I think we were last in it last November. But uh, my hope now is to try and uh, uh, get us to get through quite a bit of it so that we can finish the book while we're still this young. So won't you turn with me to Acts chapter 11 this morning, and uh, our attention will be from verse 1 to 21. Verse 1 to 21 will be where we will be focusing this morning. Let me read for you the word of the Lord. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had accepted the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision took issue with him, saying, You went to men who were uncircumcised and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in an orderly sequence, saying, Well, I was in the city of Joppa praying, And in a trance I saw a vision, an object something like a large sheet coming down, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came to me. And as I looked intently into it, I was considering it, and I saw the four-footed animals of the earth and the wild animals and the reptiles and the birds of the sky. And I also heard a voice saying to me, Get up, Peter, slaughter and eat. But I said, Certainly not, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered into my mouth. But the voice replied from heaven for the second time, The things which God has made clean, you must not consider unclean. And this happened three times, and everything was pulled up into heaven again. And behold, at once three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea approached the house in which we were staying. And the Spirit told me to accompany them, not hesitating at all. So these six Brothers also went with me, and we entered into the man's house. And he reported to us how he had seen the angel standing in his house, saying, Send to Joppa and summon Simon, who is also called Peter, who will speak words to you by which you will be saved, you and all your household. And as our Holy Spirit fell on them, just as also on us at the beginning." And I remember the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, if God gave them the same gift as also to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to be able to hinder God? And when they heard these things, they became silent and praised God, saying, Then God has granted the repentance leading to life, to the Gentiles also. Now those who had been scattered because of the persecution that took place over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, proclaiming the message to no one except Jews alone. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene. When they came to Antioch, began to speak to the Greeks also, proclaiming the good news about the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. This is God's word. If I were to ask you, church, this morning, what are the enemies of the advance of the gospel, what would you say? What are the enemies of the advance of the gospel of Christ going from nation to nation, reaching to where the gospel wants to reach. Where would you point out the enemies? Well, one of you, one of you here might say, as we have seen in the book of Acts so far, that there is persecution is an enemy, that there are those who are outside who are hostile to the message of the, of the gospel, and they're trying as much as they can to sniff it out. And if you said that, you would be right. Of course, we've seen that happening. You might also mention, perhaps, that the pervasive evil attitudes of the world can come inside of the church and stifle the church of its power, and thereby, that is an enemy of the gospel. 
And you would be right. Certainly when evil attitudes and evil thinking comes into the church, that becomes, that is an enemy of the advance of the gospel. But this morning, the text in front of us shows us a sinister internal resistance by God's own people to the advance of the gospel. You see, to remind you, chapter 11 closes off a three-chapter section that began in chapter 9. You remember that the book of Acts follows the schema of Acts chapter 1 verse 8, that the gospel is to be preached in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the world. And up until chapter 8, we had seen the gospel preached powerfully and triumphantly in Jerusalem, in Judea, and of course in chapter 8, we saw the gospel arrive in Samaria. And then chapter 9 is the beginning of the story of how the gospel reached, pursued the ends of the earth, that is the Gentiles. Chapter 9 tells us of the conversion of Saul, who was to be the apostle to the Gentiles. And chapter 10 deals with Peter being forced by the Lord to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. You remember how it happened. The Lord had to force him to go there and to show and to move him even with his own resistance. And now chapter 11 deals with the rest of the Jewish church and how they came to grips with the idea that the gospel is also going to go to the Gentiles and land there. And now here's where we are. How does the rest of the Jewish church initially respond to God bringing the gospel to the Gentiles? There's two groups that show up in the text of chapter 11 in front of us this morning, which I want to call the resistors and the conductors. In electricity, there are two types of materials through which electricians consider with regards to the flow of electrical current. There are conductors, that is, materials with which easily allow electrical current to flow, and these are the materials through which electrical wires and cables are made of. This is what usually takes electricity from one place to another. And then there are resistors. These are materials which could allow electricity to flow, but instead offer up an opposition to the flow of electrical current. The text in front of us shows us resistors and conductors. And Luke makes us see clearly the difference between the two. This morning we will study both of these groups and attempt to see what we can learn from their example. These two groups are not necessarily groups only, they are attitudes influenced by our different kinds of personalities and proclivities and desires. And this morning, as we go through it, it must be clear to you which group you are to embrace and which attitude you are to reject. First now, let us consider together the resistors. Notice the occasion of the resistance here in verse 1. As Luke takes us through the extraordinary events of chapter 10, after he's taken us through the extraordinary events of chapter 10, he tells us here in verse 1 that the, word, that the fact that the word of the Lord was accepted by the Gentiles and that information arrived to the believers in Jerusalem. You see what he says here in verse 1? He's using very clear language here about how the news were received in Jerusalem. Pay attention to this. He is saying to us, it was understood in Jerusalem that the word through the preaching of the gospel by Peter, Gentiles had accepted the gospel. Look at what he says. He says, now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also accepted the word of God. Luke does not say that news of Peter going inside a Gentile's house and eating there had reached Jerusalem. No. He says news that Gentiles had become disciples reached Jerusalem. Did you catch that? This is before Peter says anything. Before Peter talks, 
the understanding in Judea is that Gentiles had become believers in Jesus Christ. I want you to think about the magnitude of what Peter is, or what Luke is saying here in verse 1. Think about the magnitude. See, you and I, especially in the book of Acts, we're so used to hearing people here, hearing that people have become Christians, especially as we've seen all the numbers and all the revivals that are throughout the book of Acts, that you and I can become bored with those facts. But we must not miss the reality-altering, cosmos-shaping truth that is in this statement. The Gentiles had received the word of God. For that to mean something, we need to know who the Gentiles are. Who are the Gentiles that, that Luke is talking about here? Well, Gentiles were idol worshippers. They worshipped gods made by hands. They worshipped nothing. Gentiles were sexually immoral, having all kinds of unspeakable debauchery and sin. Gentiles were those who were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. Think about this. Jesus the Messiah did not go out to preach to the Gentiles. Instead, Jesus the Messiah called the Gentiles dogs because of how disgusting their practices were. He did not, he did not spend any time going out to preach to the Gentiles. He preached primarily to the people of Israel. Gentiles in history had persecuted the people of God. They had been the enemy of God. In summary, the Gentiles were the image of hostility to the true God of Israel. And yet here we are hearing an amazing truth that they have now received the word of God. They have now turned from their evil, idolatrous, lifeless practices and they've turned to the true God, the God of Israel. This means that they are now worshippers of the true God and not of idols. This means that God has now forgiven them of their many multiple lifestyle sins and habits. This means that now that they are not enemies of God, but that they are now have themselves Jesus as their own advocate. Jesus has embraced them. It means now that they have equal access to God with their Jewish counterparts. Now you tell me, think with me for a second, tell me, when this word of this truth arrives to Christian headquarters in Jerusalem, how must it be received? When this word that these, these idol worshippers, these people who are dead in their sins, have now turned to the life-giving Messiah, what must, the, what must the reaction be in Jerusalem at Christian headquarters? Now, before you make your judgment, I want you to consider two pieces of information. Number one, remember that Jesus himself had told them to take the gospel where? To the nations. Do you remember this? He had told them, take this gospel to the nations. It's part of what Jesus had promised would happen, that you are going to be my witnesses to the Gentiles. It's part of their task. It's part of the reason for their very existence. What is happening is why they exist. Why is Coca what is Coca-Cola's reason for existence? To sell Coke bottles and make money. Well, this is it. Money has been made. How should the shareholders of Coca-Cola react when they hear that they've outsold Pepsi and they've made bucket loads of money? It's the first piece of information. The second piece of information is this. Remember how they've reacted in the past, here in the book of Acts, when they heard the gospel crossing other barriers. When they heard the gospel move from Jerusalem to Judea, and then the gospel move from Judea into Samaria, what was their reaction? After Philip's preaching in chapter 8, do you remember? It was rejoicing. They sent a delegation in joy. So what is the answer? How is Christian headquarters supposed to react when they hear that the, that the idol-worshipping Gentiles have become Christians? The answer is rejoicing. The answer is praising God. The answer is, yes, Lord, your purposes are being fulfilled. But instead, 
Look at what happens. Look at verse 2. So when, Pete <clears throat> so when Peter went up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision took issue with him, saying, When you went to men who were uncircumcised and ate with them. This is a very strong word here. When Peter goes up to Jerusalem, these men criticized him, disputed with him, challenged him in public, for the eyes of the Jerusalem leaders to see. You went to the house of uncircumcised men to eat with them. Now I want you to notice a few things that you might have missed in this statement. Notice first the definite article on this phrase, those of the circumcision. This group, this those of the circumcision, is a well-defined, clearly known group within the church. It is not a term of all the Jews, since everyone who was there would have been a Jew, but rather it is a term for those who are a specific group known as those of the circumcision. These people were committed to the Mosaic law to such a degree that they believed that every Christian must become a convert to Judaism to be saved. Paul refers to the same group of people when he states this in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 12. He says, For before certain people came from James, he, that is Peter, used to eat with the Gentiles. But when these people came, Peter withdrew and separated himself from the Gentiles because Peter was afraid of those who were of the circumcision. This group within the Jerusalem church that prides itself of being of the circumcision and determining that everybody else must become of the circumcision. This is a problematic group. And I want you to note two things, two problems with this group. Number one, this group that is challenging Peter publicly here had organized itself as a faction within Christianity. They'd organize themselves as a group, a, a well-defined, a known group. They even get a term later on called Judaizers. And Paul has to write an entire letter to deal with this particular group. This faction is so influential that they're a subject of much interaction within the apostles. And we're going to see more of them leading up to chapter 15. And this is a problem. Why is this a problem that they had organized themselves into a group? Because... They are very happy to be a specific, well-defined group with a set of theological commitments within the church. Why is that? They, because that is how things operated within Judaism. Within Judaism, there were different sects, different groupings, different people with different theological commitments. And so now they're taking that very self-same way of working and they're bringing it into the church of Jesus Christ. Do you remember? In, the, in the Judaism, there are Sadducees, right? who did not believe in the resurrection. And then there were Pharisees who did believe in the resurrection. But there were other groups. There were the Essenes. And there were many other groups as well. People who were separating themselves and saying, we're about this, we're about that. This is what our passion is. This group had organized itself, taking thinking from Judaism and bringing it into the church. And here's a second problem with this group. They are slow to understand the scope of the mission that the church has been given. Not that they, don't, that they have not heard it. So one thing is that they were not told what the scope of the mission of the church is. They were told. They know what the, church, the scope of the mission is, but they're slow to understand it, slow to receive it, just like Peter in chapter 10. They're slow to embrace the work of the Lord, and they find themselves resisting it. For these men... The future of the church is tied to the future of Israel. That's their thinking. The church is Jewish. What it, as goes Israel, so goes the church. The future of the Christian religion in these people's minds is linked to physical Israel remaining distinct. These men do not see that the gospel of Jesus Christ is to go to all nations and permeate all cultures, however those cultures are, 
Whether people eat lizards or donkeys, the gospel is to come to them. These men are stuck in first gear when the Holy Spirit is in sixth gear. And we see this particularly with those people of this group who were scattered among the non-Jews. Jump with me to verse 19 and see what happens when these people who are influenced by this group go out as they are scattered by uh, persecution. Look at verse 19. Now those who had been scattered because of the persecution that took place over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, proclaiming the message to no one except Jews alone. They're proclaiming the gospel to nobody except Jews. They are seeing people. Imagine having the wherewithal of being, you've been persecuted, but you are passionate about the gospel and you want to share the gospel, but you're still stuck in your mind. I can only share the gospel with somebody who looks like me. I can only share the gospel with the one who looks like me, who comes from Israel. I can't share the gospel with others. They are confused as to the future of the church when Jesus had made clear that the future of the church is international and not Jewish. These people are the resistors. They resist the work that the Lord is doing in the world. Here are two takeaways for us this morning as we study this group. Number one, and hear me clearly on this, beware of agendas that are not gospel-oriented. Beware of all agendas that are not gospel-oriented. Any agenda that does not have at its heart the current work of the Holy Spirit in this age, which is to save men from all tribes, peoples, and tongues, and to disciple them in the way of Jesus, that any agenda like that must be rejected by us as a church. I read somewhere recently that when pastors get bored with the gospel, they usually gravitate towards social issues and politics. When pastors get bored with the gospel and the scope of the gospel and the repetitive nature of the work of the gospel, preaching the gospel, seeking out those who are lost and bringing them in, when they get bored with that, they start participating in social issues and preaching social issues and preaching politics and and telling people who to vote for and where to vote and all these kinds of things. Beware of those kinds of things. If Michael or I ever do that, you get rid of us. But I believe that this is not just uh, uh, something that only pastors are guilty of. I think we can be guilty of it as well. I think it's, it's all of us. When we get bored with the gospel, we tend to gravitate to hot topic issues. Things that are fun for the day to talk about. And try and, and make it a, a gospel agenda when it isn't. We must know, dear church, that what must give us energy and vitality is Heritage Baptist Church. What is the decisive matter of our existence is that Jesus Christ is saving men, women, and children from all corners of the world, and he chooses to use us. That's what must give us vitality. Here's a lost person. Here's a lost person. Let me bring the gospel to you. Here's a group of lost people. How can we reach them? That's where our energy and vitality comes from. Anything else is not from the Lord. Anything else is not where the Lord is working. Let me ask you this. What do you think Jesus is doing in the world? What is Jesus' mission right now in the world? What is the Holy Spirit doing right now in the world? What is, he, what is he actively doing? Remember, Jesus even told us that the Father, my Father, continues to work. What work is the Father doing? I'll tell you now, Jesus is not building countries. He's not. I'm sorry. Jesus is not building countries. Jesus is not building nations. His mission is afoot going forward, but it is not fixing economies. Do you want to know what, what work he's doing? 
He's not creating wonderful earthly utopias. Do you know what he's doing? Acts has been telling us throughout, he is daily adding to the number of those in the church. That's where he's doing. That's what he is doing. Now listen to me. Listen to me, saints. Jesus will save people with or without your involvement. He will save people whether you're involved or not. His mission is afoot. There is no stopping it. It is a speed train that is off its hinges. No one can stop it. But why would you not want to participate? Yes, he can do it without you, but he chooses to use you. Why would you not want to participate? Why would you want to get involved in this earthly squabbles of people? You know, I read something, and I really love this. It says, Satan must really love it when pilgrims argue about which king of Babylon they prefer. You're passing by here. This is not home. And here you are, you're going to fight with people about which king of Babylon you like. I like this oppressor, not this one. See the foolishness of this. Our mission is the gospel and bringing it to whomever, wherever, however they come. Beware. We must be aware of agendas that are not gospel-oriented. Number two, beware of the inclination to make external distinctions regarding who can be saved. Let me say that again. Beware of that very tiny inclination that could be there in your heart that says, let's make external distinctions of who can be saved. See, the language of verse 19 should do nothing but startle us. How is it that there were some, pre there were some Christians full of the Holy Spirit going around preaching the gospel only to Jews? Making that distinction. I will not preach to this person or that person. I'm only going to preach to these people. This should startle us. And, and, you, and, you, and, and I want you to think about this also. What kind of gospel is preached only to Jews? Is it the true, is it the true full gospel then? If it's preached only to Jews? The resurrection of Jesus Christ has implication for all, implications for all humanity, not just Jews. Therefore, this gospel that is preached only to Jews is an immature gospel that is not the full scope of what Jesus actually achieved. It is lessening what Jesus achieved. A message that only is preached to Jews is a message of Jewish preeminence and Jesus' power over the Jewish nation. But Jesus said, all authority has been given to me. Jesus, we're told in Revelation, has been given the title deed not to Jerusalem, to the entire earth. So when you preach a gospel only to some people, you need to know what you're doing. You're preaching something that is less than the full gospel. You and I must resist this impulse at all costs, at all costs. Do not ever preach the gospel only to those whom you believe look like they can receive it. Do not ever preach the gospel or offer the gospel only to those whom you think are close to the kingdom. Do not ever preach the gospel only to those who look like they should, they have the mental capacity to get it, whereas all these others don't. You are not preaching the full, full powerful gospel of Christ's earth-conquering conquest. And I'm now talking especially to the seasoned Christians among us. Listen to me. There is no gospel look. There is no gospel ethnicity. There is no gospel age, gender, or personality. Seasoned saints, hear me. Every kind of immorality and insanity you see today, Jesus will save some people from it. Every kind of immorality, every kind of mental insanity, whatever it is that looks to you like it's so stupid and so foolish, Jesus will save some people from that. In the kingdom of heaven, there will be former crazy liberals, 
There will be former avowed legalists. There will be former Nazi sympathizers. There will be former Marxist-Leninists. There will be former transgenders. There will be former homosexual practices. There will be former corrupt politicians. There will be former everything. The gospel of Jesus Christ makes no distinction. It finds men in their deadness and it goes and it wakes them up. Do not dare make distinctions based on your eyes. Do not dare do that. You are, you are saying that the gospel that you preach is weak. It is powerful. It's the most powerful thing we have. It's the most powerful power in the world currently. The Holy Spirit is applying to all kinds of people the power of the cross into their hearts, waking them up from the nonsense that they're in. So do not share the gospel with those whom you think look ready for it. Well, that's two takeaways from us, from this group. So how does Peter answer the accusation? Going back now to verse 3. How does Peter answer? Peter has been accused by the resistors. He's been accused by the resistors of eating with Gentiles. So how does he answer them? Well, he provides a detailed account of the events that have transpired in chapter 10. You'll remember how he was called in the vision at Joppa to eat and how he declined and how he was rebuked three times for, refu for refusing to eat what the Lord said he must eat and how the Lord simultaneously sent an angel to Cornelius to send men to him and how when he arrived at Caesarea, the Holy Spirit fell on the Gentiles just like he had fell on the Jews in Acts chapter 2. And so he's, he's saying all of that, what happened. And then look at what he says in verse 17. And I want you to notice this. He says, if God gave them the same gift that he gave us, who was I to hinder God? Remember what the accusation is. The accusation is when you ate with them, you treated Gentiles as people, as brothers, you sat down in their houses. You're not supposed to do that under the, under the Jewish law. And yet, and then, he, and then he says, but how is that supposed to hinder God? If God is giving to them exactly what he gave to us, trust me, I'm like you. I was resisting this thing, but I couldn't stop the Holy Spirit from falling. And so then I had to do my duty as an apostle. I had to sit down with them, eat with them, and teach them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because God is already doing the job, so that's what I did. I just follow and do what he says. There is a great principle for us to learn here, brothers. What God is doing, when God is doing his will, the best place for us is to be at his side. When God is doing what God does, the best place for us is to be at his side. Verse 18, and when they heard these things, they became silent and praise God, saying, Then God has granted the repentance leading to life to the Gentiles also. What is wonderful in the text here is that this group seems to hear what Peter says, and then they respond in the way that they should have responded in the first place. They rejoice. And at this point in Jerusalem, we, hear, we see them rejoicing and understanding and getting what is being said. But sadly, we know later on through the testimony of Paul that this group of the circumcision will continue to be a problem. Even though they've been conquered for a while, this problem is going to rear its head up multiple times in the future, and they will later be called Judaizers. So we must learn the lesson that they failed to learn. And the lesson is this. The gospel is going out to all kinds of people. We must not resist it. But rather, we should be conductors. Now, let's turn our attention to the conductors. Look at the conductors here. Let's read again from verse 19. Those were the resistors. Now, let's look at the conductors. Now, those who had been scattered because of the persecution that took place over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, proclaiming the message to no one except Jews alone. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who when they came to Antioch, began to speak to the Greeks also, the Hellenists, proclaiming the good news about the Lord Jesus. 
And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. To such a degree that we'll see next week, the church in Jerusalem has to send Barnabas to Antioch because of how wonderful and big the work is, and it's there that they're first called Christians. We'll see that next week. But some, here in verse 20, some from Cyprus and Cyrene preached the gospel to the Hellenists as well. While some only preach to the Jews, others, pre- well, others preach the gospel to non-Jews, to Greeks, the Hellenists. And look at this. Of these two groups of people, the ones who only preach to the Jews and the ones who went and preached the gospel to the Hellenists, which one of the two groups did God plant a church among? Look at verse 21. It says then, the power of the Lord, the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. Does massive salvation happen among those who preached to the Jews exclusively? No. The massive salvation, the revival, happens among those who are non-Jews. A large number of them turn to the Lord, and a church, the church at Antioch, which is now going to be really the center of Christianity going forward at this point, a church called Antioch is born. While this passage functions to tell us about the advance of the church, you can see clearly that Luke is interested in showing us the folly of those who focused only on the Jews and not where God was working, among the Gentiles. You must mark this church. God's agenda must be our agenda. Your own personal agenda must be submitted to the revealed will of the Lord. There are two comforts that I want to end with this this morning as we come to a close. Number one, while the church might act in the wrong ways, the Lord will always accomplish his mission. While the church, even for a time, is filled with more resistors than conductors, Jesus' will will never be thwarted. And that's good news, because no one in here should look to the church to be saved. Everyone in here must look to Jesus to be saved. If you have been hurt in the past, because you come, perhaps you have experience with a church that was full of resistors, people who did not act in line with the will of the Lord. If you've been hurt by people like that, you are not excused. Well, I understand your pain, and I'm agreeing with you. Perhaps those people should have acted in a different way because we can clearly see here that there are two groups even within the church, and one is acting in the right way, and the other way, the other one's not acting in the right way, But still, you are not excused because salvation does not come from the church. Salvation comes from Jesus. Jesus is holy. Jesus is the one who is willing to forgive his church's sins and yours. Do not use church hurt as an excuse to not come to Christ and follow him. Do not. Jesus is superior. Jesus is perfect. Jesus is good, wholesome. Sometimes his church does not reflect him, and that's fine. The church is going to be forgiven by Christ. But you, don't use others as an excuse. What have you done with this call, repent and believe in Jesus Christ? That's what you must answer. You will not be able to stand in front of Jesus on the last day and say, well, this church member hurt me, and that church member helped me, and this person did this. That will not fly as an excuse. You must answer the question, What can be done about your sins? What must be done about your sins? You have sinned in this way, in that way, in that way. Who's going to take away your sins? And the Bible has a very clear answer. Jesus the Messiah, the King of the Jews, and the one who holds the title deed to the earth says to all and every, if you repent and believe in me, I will give you rest. Come to Jesus today. Do not use excuses Do not point out fingers, but come to Christ and deal with the reality that you have to answer to God yourself. 
And here's the second comfort. The second comfort is for his saints. The com- this comfort is this, dear saints, that you and I, as the Lord's people, know what the will of the Lord is. We know where the Lord's power is. His power is focused on saving people. There is no better place to witness the power of the Holy Spirit than to participate in the advance of the gospel. If you are feeling a lack of vitality in your spiritual life, you know where it is, where you can find it. Where is the Holy Spirit working? Among people. If you were to look to others, share the gospel of Christ, and work in, up in building others and discipling others, that is where you will find the vitality that you so lack. The sluggish, bored Christian life is usually the self-centered Christian life. Sluggishness and boredom in religion goes with focusing on yourself. Like those little dams that get all muddy and ugly because they're so small and they don't move. The way to life is to be where the Holy Spirit is, where he is building, working on people, shaping people, making them more like Christ. If you go there, you will find him working and you will find him able to use even you. Let me tell you something. These believers, both of these groups now, the, the ones who were, who were scattered through Stephen's, uh, because of the persecution that came out of Stephen's death, both of these groups had problems. They were both persecuted. Okay? They had no homes. They had to leave their homes. They had, to, they had to figure out a new retirement plan, a new ways of working. What's going to happen with our children? They had all kinds of problems. And yet we're being told here that they went and preached the gospel. Our excuses for not participating are more weak than we realize. Our excuses for not participating in the mission, sharing of the gospel, discipling others, participating in the work of building other people up in the name of Jesus Christ, our excuses are way weak than we think. Do you think these people had problems? Have you ever been chased out of where you live? And this is not like, this is not a, there's no digital currency, you know. You can't take your, your bank card with you. There's, it's gone. All that you have is gone. You have to figure out a new life. And yet, these people were going around as they tried to settle in a new place, trying to figure out a new way of living. They were sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. May their example challenge us and awaken us from our sluggish stupor sometimes. That our excuses might be more weak than we realize. Let me encourage you, saints. Seek the Lord where he is, in the salvation and edification of others. If you are needing to find the Lord, you will find him there. You will find him rolled up his sleeves, working to save, evangelizing, building up, changing marriages, changing people who were going in the wrong direction and fixing them and taking them in the right direction. Participate in that and you will find that he's able to use even you. May God help us to be conductors and not resistors. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we, we find comfort in this. That though sometimes we are sluggish, you are always energetic. Though sometimes we can be self-centered, you are always about your glory in the edification and salvation of men. We find comfort, Lord, in the fact that while we might sometimes walk in the wrong path, no one will be lost because of it. You will accomplish your ends. So help us now, Lord, to be those who walk in step with you. Lead us, O Holy Spirit. Teach us the way everlasting. Walk in front of us. Blow us in the right direction. Overcome our sluggishness and lack of zeal. And make us into useful, worthy conductors. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.
Well, we come to close our time together singing the power of the cross. Would you stand with me, if you're able, and let's sing together.
it's your first time with us, please don't rush off. We have a gift for you at the welcome desk. And also there's some uh, tea and coffee for you to enjoy. Uh, please do visit us at the visitor's coffee desk there uh, on the side of the building as well. Uh, let me remind you that we'll meet again tonight at half past five as we continue in the Sermon on the Mount. Let me leave you with this benediction from 1 Corinthians 15. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Amen.